Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. While I don't care, Gavin, how good the ratings would be, Howard Schultz will never be on this podcast. His coffee tastes like hobo socks that have been set on fire and steeped in hot water. Ass. The following podcast contains... Damn, that's nasty. I'm sorry. That was nasty. That's just nasty. That's just nasty. Oh, that's nasty. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you thought a guy with Nixon's face tattooed on his back was a political genius, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, February 1st, 2019. Will the real Roger Stone please stand up? Edition of the show, where we talk about the fifth-string Murray Machiavelli of the Trump world, Roger Stone. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Black Manafort Stone and Kelly. We'll represent anyone. At Black Manafort Stone and Kelly, we like to say, no, it's not so much what you did, but it's how we can spin it. No deed too dark, no deal too corrupt, no bribe too big that we can't make it work. Drug deals, coup d'etats, assassinations, money laundering, bribes, extortion, even kidnapping. BMSK can make it okay. From Azerbaijan to Zaire to right here in the US of A, Black Manafort Stone and Kelly is the voice for the criminal corrupt colluders and the con men in Washington, D.C. If you need the thin veneer of legitimacy, call Black Manafort Stone and Kelly. Note, you're not currently accepting new contracts due to ongoing legal issues, but continue to provide the best-in-class service to our existing clients. Contact your account manager via the established secure channels or by the dead drop by the usual park bench. Correct? Yeah, yes, they're trying to criminalize legitimate political inquiry. They're trying to li- li- they're trying to criminalize free speech, which is really what's this about? This is about. Look, I honestly believe that they are going to try to charge uh, the president and the vice president with some hoked up frame of Russian collusion. That way, they could make Nancy Pelosi president. She could make Hillary Clinton vice president, and then step aside. It's a nightmare. But I think that's what they have in mind. There is no Russian collusion. Uh, I had no collaboration with WikiLeaks. I'm not charged with conspiracy. Believe me, if they could have made that case, they would have. But they, they want to silence me because I will stand up for Donald Trump. That's now, what look. this is really about. In every group of teenage boys, there's one boy who is only in that group so the rest of the guys can bust his balls. Look, there's probably a deep biological or evolutionary necessity for this, but I suspect the real reason was... Because they're a bunch of assholes. <gasps> of course! Yeah, exactly. In my friend group, we had Dex, whose name was not Dexter or Dex. He was actually, well, his his name isn't important, really. He was called Dex because he was constantly tripping over his feet, dropping whatever he was carrying, and was just generally an uncoordinated goofball. So we, a big bunch of fucking nerds, called him Dex because of the dexterity stat in Dungeons & Dragons, which said, you know, how how dexterous you were and how nimble you were. And when it came to that stat, Dex rolled a three. The lowest you can roll. 
don't worry if you can't understand all of this. All you need to know is you were just being vicious little shits. And one of the things that Dex and his underdog brethren did to maintain their precarious position in the groups, maybe even elevate them to, say, a non-loser status, is try to entertain the rest of us. And our Dex, he was a real storyteller. A liar? Oh, I, I'm sure you don't mean a liar. Actually, I kind of do, because Dex liked to put himself in the middle of the story, even a fictional one. He felt that it gave it a oomph. It wasn't that he was so much aggrandizing himself as he framed the story around him so his audience could relate and maybe ease up on busting his fucking balls all the time. And over the years, Dex told himself a lot of stories, and they grew in size and scope with each retelling so that a simple tale about Dex accidentally seeing side boob outside of a gaming store parking lot turned over time into Dex having a girl slowly and erotically strip out of her shirt and into a bikini top, all the while making eye contact with Dex and lasciviously licking her lips. You know, that sort of thing. The upshot was that Dex was unliked, desperate for approval, and entirely willing to do pretty much anything to get that approval from his friends because Dex was really fucking pathetic. And you know, I think about Dex a lot these days. You were him, weren't you? What? No, no, I wasn't Dex. It wasn't me. It might have been me. But the reason I'm thinking about Dex right now is because I'm fairly sure Roger Stone was the dorky kid in his dorky friend group, the beta nerd of the pack, and he spent his entire life trying to compensate for this. Welcome to my TED Talk. Oh, man, I've been saving Roger for so long, I cannot tell you how this topic makes me so happy, because of all the people we've had to endure since the rise of the orange hate, Roger Stone is without question the most pathetic the slimiest, the shittiest, the deserving of our scorn. And all of that is because Roger... Oh, Roger. This is all your fucking fault, you skeevy little cum-stained gym stock. And now it's your turn in the barrel. are two versions of Roger Stone, the version Roger tells and the version that everyone who knows Roger tells. Let us begin with the common facts as generally accepted. He was born to Roger and Gloria Stone in Norwalk, Connecticut, August 27, 1952. His family were middle-class Catholics and Roger grew up in Lewisboro, New York and Westchester County, just outside of New York City. Roger grew up loving politics and ran for class president of his senior year in high school. This is where the tale of two stones starts to diverge. Because you see, Stone claims in a New York, New York Times article from 1999, quote, as a junior, then vice president of his Northwestern Westchester High School, he manipulated the ouster of the president and his own succession, running for re-election as a senior. He said, I have nothing left to chance. I have built alliances and I put all my serious challenges on my ticket. Then I recruited the most unpopular guy in the school to run against me. You think that's mean? No, that's smart, unquote. The problem is the only person who claims that this ever happened is Roger Stone himself. Mm, convenient. The early accomplishments of Mr. Stone are a little like Dex's stories crafted to reflect the history he wants to remember rather than what actually happened. After high school, Roger attended the third best Georgia, D.C., George Washington University for a little while 
because he dropped out to work full-time for none other than the bastion of law and order, Richard Milhouse Nixon's campaign in 1972. The list of things Roger claims he did for Tricky Dick is long, but mostly small stuff, and, comp and completely uncorroborated by any source that does not have stone in the name. Indeed, the Nixon Foundation, charged with keeping all the papers and records from the administration, disavowed Roger Stone by saying, quote, Mr. Stone, during his time as a student at George Washington University, was a junior scheduler on the Nixon reelection committee. Mr. Stone was not a campaign aide or advisor. Nowhere in the presidential daily diaries from 1972 to 1974 does the name Roger Stone appear. Unquote. Do you know how shitty you gotta be to have the Nixon Foundation say? Oh, I know. I don't even know the guy. I mean, they admit to G. Gordon fucking Liddy who was convicted of Watergate, and they want nothing to do with Roger Stone. That's all you really need to know. But then something happened post Watergate, where all these things should have slammed the cell doors on Nixonian politics. It opened up doors for people like Roger Stone, and he went from a spear carrier forth in the back to something like a mover and a shaker in GOP politics. And suddenly, the stories about him became closer to true. As close to true as you can get for Roger Stone, anyway. Because for a little while, Roger worked for Bob Dole. Until, you know, his history about Watergate sent him packing from the Bob Dole office. He was even elected national chairman for the Young Republicans, a group of people best described as incredibly, oh, I don't know. You must be fun at parties. I think we both know the flaw in that theory before going back for a few years into state politics. In 1980, he was tapped to become the Northeast chairman for Ronald Reagan's presidential campaign. It was during this part of his young life that Roger met the man who would be his mentor, his teacher, and his idol, Roy fucking Cohn. I hate him, yes, I hate him, I hate him. I could do an entire show on Roy fucking Cohn. Oh wait, hold on. Gavin's telling me I did do an entire show on Roy fucking Cone in April of last year. It's episode 156, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. You should listen to it to learn all about Roy fucking Cone. Together, the two bribed the Liberal Party of New York to endorse a third-party candidate in the 1980 election, which split off votes from Jimmy Carter and handed New York State to Ronald Reagan in the, in the 1980 campaign. Again, this is per Stone, who only said anything about it after the statute of limitations had expired for this particular crime. It was after Reagan's election that Stone, along with Charlie Black and another young go-getter in the GOP politics, formed a D.C. lobbying firm, really the first of its kind, for the, that young fella, that young fella is a name that you just might recognize. Paul Manafort. He's been in prison for the past four months. I know, it's fucking fantastic. The road to that cell is long and rich with crimes, corruption, and conspiracy because Black Manafort and Stone would represent anybody if the price was right. From a 1986 New York Times article, quote, the lobbying firm's offices overlooked the Potomac in Alexandria, Virginia a hushed chapel to power and influence. The lobby all mauve, teal, and dark wood. The firm has represented clients from Jonas Savimbi, leader of the rebels in Angola, to, oh, here's a name you'll recognize, Donald J. Trump. Its web of contacts has often been generated con controversy, but never more than last year when the firm became the focus of congressional investigators after examining the housing and urban development scandal, unquote. 
BMS developed a reputation for behind-the-scenes machinations and power brokering that made them both obscenely rich and disgustingly powerful. The trio of criminals dominated politics in the 1980s and the early 1980s, even Lee fucking Atwater, the devious mind behind the Willie Horton campaign that Poppy Bush used to get his scales tipped in his favor and in his election campaign, was part of their little coffee clatch. To say that BMS was criminals is libelous because they were never convicted of anything. To say that they represented a criminal and dictators is an absolute fucking fact. They were known as, and I'm not making this up, the torturer's lobby. You would think that someone might have mentioned this during the 2016 campaign. Oh wait, someone did. It was me in episode 57. Corruption Incorporated sold itself off in 1990 and the brothers' crime all went their separate ways, but they remained the closest of friends, which is how Paul Manafort ended up working for Trump in 2016. But we aren't there yet because there's so much now, so much going on between there and then because things are about to get weird. You see, Raj was back at the top. He was busy working as a consultant for Bob Dole's 1996 presidential campaign when the National Enquirer published a scoop too juicy to be missed. It seemed that someone had posted an ad for threesome foursome action in a swingers website, which the National Enquirer described (laughs) a website as being, quote, a place on the Internet where users can pay a fee and post any picture and text they want. Then anyone visits the Internet can access the article, unquote. Yes, that pretty much sums it up. And the person who posted that ad on that swingers website was none other than senior Dole campaign advisor, Roger Stone Jr. You see, Roger and his new wife, Nikki, like to swing. And this podcast is not going to kink shame them for that. Because if a, quote, hot, insatiable lady and her handsome bodybuilder husband seek similar couples or exceptional muscular, the next line is redacted, but it's assumed, presumed to read big dick single men, unquote, for consensual activities. There's nothing wrong with that, or at least nothing wrong with that so long as you're not a high-level operative for a very conservative Republican nominee running against a candidate whose reputation for being a pussyhound is one of the main points of your campaign. <laughs> Yes, I can see that. Oh, Stone denied the allegation, but the Enquirer presented couples who'd actually been to the Stone Bone Zone and the documentation that Roger's wife's credit card paid for all the ads, including in a Florida Swingers magazine called Local Swing Fever. In fact, the the show art for this show, uh, whatthehellpodcast.com, is Nikki Stone. Looking very milfy and hot, flashing some hardcore cleavage taken from that very ad in Local Swing Fever. The upshot is is that Roger was forced to resign from the Dole campaign, and this effectively ended his forays into respectable GOP politics. (laughs) Never one to let something like being a national disgrace keep him down. Raj went back to his history of dirty tricks and slimy deals to undermine the rule of law, norms of decency, and good governance. Stone claims he was behind the Brooks Brothers riot in Florida when in the Bush v. Gore recount when a group of young khaki-clad Republican assholes stormed the recount demanding fairness or some shit. Others dispute Stone's claims, but this has not stopped Raj from claiming it was him. 
It's widely suspected he, he leaked George W. Bush's National Guard service records to Dan Rather during the 2004 campaign, records that would eventually be discredited and ended the career of CBS's Dan Rather, though Stone denies this without ever saying he didn't do it. He's also a prime suspect in leaking the disgraced New York governor's Elliot Spitzer's penchant for high-priced prostitutes to the FBI, sparking the investigation that would later force Spitzer's resignation. Raj is evasive on this, as he is with so many things that probably would get his ass indicted if they were proven. This seems to be Roger Stone's greatest gift, the ability to shift skirt prosecution for the myriad shady-ass things that he does. Until now, because all of Roger Stone's projects and fixations, his greatest success is the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, none other than individual one himself. The Trump-Stone connection goes all the way back to Roy fucking Cohn. And from that venomous piece of shit and the partnership of corruption and incompetence was born... Just a fucking terrible baby. For years, Stone lobbied on Trump's behalf as the Don brought a string of soon-to-fail casinos. But through it all, Roger urged Don to just do one thing. Do it, Donnie. Run for president. As far back as 1987, when someone orchestrated a speech by Trump in New Hampshire leading up to the primaries, a speech that went about like you think it went, Trump showed up. I flew in on a helicopter, uttered a string of disconnected payons to his own greatness, to a crowd of confused New Hampshireites, then got back on his helicopter and disappeared. In 1999, Stone organized a meeting between Trump and the Reform Party, particularly with Minnesota Governor Jesse the Body Ventura, who parlayed his fame into politics in the, in the late 1990s. But again, Trump didn't bite. But Raj kept quietly urging Trump to run. No one really knows, I suspect, not even Trump or Stone, how much Roger Stone's influence finally pushed Trump into the 2016 run race. Stone dithers between claiming, claiming he alone created Trump to denying that he did much of anything at all, depending on which way the legal winds are blowing at the time. And the winds right now, my friends, are blowing from the north because Roger Stone was indicted, arrested, and arraigned for his actions related to the Trump-Russia scandal just this week. was indicted on obstruction of justice, witness tampering, and lying to Congress, but not conspiracy against the United States, which means, well, we don't know what that means at this point. Mueller knows what Mueller knows, but this is what we know. Stone served in the campaign before being punted out by Corey Lewandowski in 2015, but continued on as an advisor for the rest of Trump's run. He, by his own admission multiple times, spoke with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, but denies a court coordinating with Assange to release Russian hacked emails from the DNC Clinton campaign, but at the time tweeted about their upcoming release days before they were actually released. Through a twisting path of lies, obfuscation, and entire bullshit, Stone has in turn claimed total ignorance and innocence to be in the, to be in the mastermind of the entire smear campaign. To get at the heart of Roger Stone has publicly said about Russia over the course of his campaign and during the investigation, you need a huge ass wall and a shitload of red yarn. But the indictments show a direct link between Assange, Stone, and senior Trump administration officials who directed Stone to coordinate with Assange. The only piece of yarn left to connect 
is between Russia and Julian Assange and is pinned real, real close right now. Common consensus is Stone is very likely the last of the bit players to fall before we see the report on indictments of senior Trump campaign officials, meaning, I don't know, Jared, Don Jr., and Don himself. That can't be good. Through his entire life, Roger Stone has constantly danced on the knife edge of this very moment. And through it all, he somehow managed to balance himself, but now he's gone too far and has messed with the wrong motherfucker because Bob Mueller ain't here to play. In the coming weeks, we finally get to see the real Roger Stone because he's got a problem here. Stone has presented himself as this political mastermind, a modern Machiavelli, reveling in the role of dirty trickster, influence planner, peddler, or as he likes to call himself, rat fucker. His wild suits and larger-than-life persona are a crafted image to let the world see him as a canny genius. He cultivates associations with the rich and powerful, with the influencers and the money makers. He wants the world to believe that he, Roger Stone Jr., can make anything happen for a price, and maybe once upon a time, that was true. But my theory is the real Roger Stone isn't any of those things. He's a fucking loser who wants to be seen as cool. Once upon a time, he's a rising star of the Republican Party who really did have the years of the powerful. Black Manafort and Stone wielded incredible persuasion for 15 years, but even that was a front to conceal how much of their money and power flowed from outside the country and from the worst possible people. Paul Manafort was a has-been by the time Stone introduced him to Trump. He was a washed-up broker of power in deep debt to some very unhappy and very dangerous people who wanted their money and would happily take influence and information of the presumptive Republican nominee in lieu of that cash. That nominee, who was already in debt himself to those same people and desperate to do more business with him, had no problem with this, and together they conspired to influence the election for their own reasons. But even in Roger Stone's wildest dreams, was he the power broker, the real the real mover of dark deeds. He didn't know the things that were being done above his head. And while Roger might have known something was going on, he wasn't a part of them. He was relegated to hanging out with a batshit lunatic fringe from Alex Jones of InfoWars and, to, and to Roger Corsi and to bilking a base for every dime he could get by selling t-shirts and signing fucking rocks. He seriously signed Stone's Roger Stone. This was something he did. It is not something that a Machiavelli does because he is all-powerful and in control. Roger Stone was a washed-up fucking has-been living like a fucking leech on the leavings of the more powerful people around him. He was a loser, and he has been from the beginning. And just like all losers, he's going to go down trying to be cool, just like Dex did. Roger never had a girlfriend in Canada and all the other kids made make fun of him for saying so. And all the flashy suits, the midlife crisis wife, the swinging, the pretense of being a rogue are just the signs of a small man trying to hide how small he really is. Roger is the tiny dog yapping in circles around the big mean dog. He is. A, it would be sad if he wasn't such an unrepentant shit stain of a human being. Trust me, Roger may be a small fish in a big pond, but he deserves what's happening to him right now. Because this time, you're in it for real, Raj. Bob Mueller will put your ass in jail for the shit you done did. And you deserve it, motherfucker. You gave us the worst president in history in the United States. It makes Andrew fucking Johnson look competent. You did it because it made you look cool and feel powerful. You did it because you like to suck up to people you think are powerful. You did it 
because it would get a reaction from the cool kids who make fun of you. You did it because maybe you would be your bodyguard instead of just another bully. Mostly, you did it to make yourself feel important because you aren't important, Raj. You never have been, and you, or if you ever were, it's been a long damn time. So when the time comes for the real Roger Stone to stand up, you better stand and sing like a fucking bird, Roger, because that's what losers do. It's how we survive. We turn on the more powerful and save ourselves. Take it from me, the kid they call the Dex. It's your only hope. That is it for our show this week. Things are busy, busy, busy here at campaign headquarters. We've lined up a campaign manager, and he really gets our vision. Well, actually, he's just a wino that we know from the bar, but he's agreed to be our acting campaign manager for two bottles of night training today. And he's getting together a consultant team that just yesterday he spent 20 minutes delivering a speech to them. And or I don't actually think we think he was yelling at squirrels, one or the other. Speaking of yelling at squirrels, do you know what is equally futile? Rating or reviewing this show wherever you find your podcast, that helps other people find it, listen to it, and become so infuriated, they need to go out and yell at small rodents. All of our rodent shout-out inducers are on SoundCloud at the show name and, of course, www.whatthehellpodcast.com. So for me, Dave, unindicted and it feels so good, Bledsoe, producer, no credible evidence, Gavin, and all the fictional political, fictional political fixers on the show, we want to say, will the real Roger Stone well, real please Slim stand Shady, up? Please, please stand up. up. Y'all act like you haven't even seen a white person before, and Roger Shady, is as white as they come. We'll see you all next week. Jazz all on the floor like Pam, like Tommy just burst in the door. He started whooping her ass once before. They first put a bowl, thrown a rubber furniture. It's the return of the all way. No way, you're kidding. He didn't just say what I think he did. Did he? And Dr. Dre said, Nothing, you idiots. Dr. Dre's dead. He's stuck in my basement. Feminist women love Eminem. Chicka, 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 slim shady. I'm sick of him. Look at him walking around, grabbing his you know what. Look at the you know who. Yeah, but he's so cute, though. Yeah, I probably got a couple of screws up in my head loose, but no worries than what's going on. To your pants bedroom Sometimes I want to get on TV And just let loose But can But it's cool for Tom Green To hump a dead moose My bum is on your lips My bum is on your lips And if I'm lucky You might just give it a little kiss And that's the message That we deliver to little kids And expect them not to know What a woman's clitoris is Of course they're gonna know What in a course Is about the time they fourth grade They got the Discovery Channel Don't they? We ain't nothing but mammals Well some of us cannibals Who cut up the people open Like antelopes But if we can hunt that animals And antelopes And there's a reason That a man and another man can elope But if you feel like I feel like at the end of the women raise your penny in the chorus and it goes, I'm Slim Shady, yes, I'm the real Shady, all you other Slim Shadies are just imitating, so won't the real Slim Shady please stand up, please stand up, please stand up, cause I'm Slim Shady, yes, I'm the real Shady, all you other Slim Shadies are just imitating, so won't the real Slim Shady please stand up, please stand up, please stand up, Will Smith don't got a cuss in his raps to sell records, well I do, so fuck him and fuck you too, you think I give a damn about a I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.